Well, I think we'll go ahead and start. Uh, my name is Ben Gilberti. I'm sort of the technical host here for Zoom. Um, and I'll introduce Calvin. Um, and Calvin's going to introduce his guest. Now, I met Calvin back in 1971 um, in the Prosperos when I first joined the Prosperos. Calvin does many things in many places. He teaches the main classes of Prosperous Translation and RHS. He also does workshops in Arizona and California and Michigan, Oregon and Washington State. Um, and it, it, Calvin is also teaching at preparatory mentoring program. I think a few of you might be, might be involved for those interested in becoming professional Prospero mentors. <laughs> um, he also creates personalized life coaching packages that enable students, um, enable students greater access to their skills and talent. Okay, so now I'm gonna uh, invite Calvin to come on. Go ahead, Calvin. Aloha. <laughs> and happy <laughs> and happy Halloween, everyone. Oh, Sarah, I, uh, I, I thought you coming on is whatever would have been just wonderful. You could just tell him it's just the costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, well, welcome everyone to the uh, Prospero Sunday meetings and uh, these conversations that uh, uh, that you have with me. I just I'm thrilled to be able to present them. Uh, these conversations that are presented with the varying guests and different focuses and aspects on life, on beingness, and on reality. One way or another, it is always about that all-important question that presents itself to each of us, and that is, who am I, and how do I want to express my I amness to the world? So, as we've known from the uh, other speakers that that we've presented in this series, that it's always someone with a unique viewpoint or whatever that they're doing. So I'm excited to bring to you my guest today, which is Natasha Albert, a woman who has taken uh, a everyday uh, used item and engineered it into an art form. But before we get there, uh, uh, let me bring on Natasha and uh, good day, Natasha and boo. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thank well, you for having me. It's wonderful to meet you all. Oh, well, yeah, because uh, most of them are from different parts of the country, which I think is important. Uh, because uh, in a way, we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, global community. But anyway, before we get on to all of that, let's begin with uh, how do we know each other? Well, first of all, it's an honor to know you, Calvin. You're <laughs> so wonderful. And um, I know Calvin through a dear friend of mine, Robert, as well as Juan Carlos and Jason. I've known them for eight years. Um, from living in Laguna Beach, California. They are family to me and I met Calvin through them and we uh, clicked immediately and he, he understands what I do in the world or at least we have deep meaningful conversations about that. And when he told me he was part of the, the Prosperous group and he'd like to bring me on, I speak at a lot of global conferences anyway, but this is very different because it's more of a spiritual community. And ironically, I worked at the Harvard Faculty Club when I was, you know, in Boston. So I thought that was interesting, too. Um, but yes, that's how we met. And we have stayed in touch and we see each other frequently. 
<laughs> yes, hopefully Monday. <laughs> so anyway, um, let's start at the uh, beginning because I mistakenly said something that was cultural about uh, you, but is not uh, uh, something to do with uh, uh, where you were born or uh, ethnics um, or the ethnic part of you. So let's go ahead. Let's clear all of that up first. Let's begin with um, where were you born, Natasha? I was born in New York City, New York City Hospital in Manhattan. In Manhattan. Okay. So she's a girl from the big city, but that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> but your parents, uh, uh, what are they? So uh, my mother is Armenian, but seven generations in Istanbul, and later I lived in Istanbul. And my dad's side is um, from California and Denver, but they're uh, Jewish immigrants, you know. Um, you that, describe your father as a, uh, a Hollywood Jew or a California Jew. Exactly. And was, LA Jew, yes. LA Jew. <laughs> Armenian and, and Jewish. I have genocides on both sides. But uh, yes. <laughs> Which is interesting because, yes, there is that sense of, of genocide that goes on, but then also that spirit that we must live on through that. Yes, yeah. And, and, and living through prejudice in all of that to be able to move forward. And I think that that has a undercurrent of that we must live that there is that situation of that, not only that, but not only our survival, but that, that somehow what we do will preserve the race. So I just really kind of love that about uh, what goes on and about what you do in that. Um, the other thing is, um, uh, you weren't. Uh, you were born in New York City, but uh, you didn't stay there very long, did you? <laughs> no, my pa we moved to London when I was age seven, and I uh, lived in London till uh, fourteen, and then moved to Istanbul. I went to a small international high school in Istanbul, and then moved back to the United States to go to college. And uh huh. Okay, so. Um, so you would, uh, because high school is so important to us as, as far as our coming into who we are as individuals, I would say that culturally, then you would be um, more uh, Middle Eastern in your outlook. Would that be uh, fair to say? I think so. I had to learn how to speak Turkish um, at ninth, in ninth grade. And my outlook was formed by being part of this small uh, international school. We had 12 people in our class and they were mostly expats living in Istanbul. But um, symbolically, I, our place, our house overlooked the Bosphorus, which is a strait in Istanbul that bridges east meets west. Uh -huh. The Bosphorus Bridge is, is very one of the most important bridges. And, and so... I was, I was in between worlds. I was the American that spoke Turkish, but Armenian and uh, Istanbul in, in the eight, late eighties and nineties when I was there was, at, it was in better shape than it is today. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I would say, yes, definitely. And then later in my life, which we can get into moving to Italy and Florence, this Mediterranean to answer your question, this East meets West um, mentality is more transatlantic, I would say. Um, uh -huh. So I live in, in all of all of it, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, th that background, but um, before Italy, you you did come back to the U.S. for a, a bit. Was that true? Yes, I went to Sarah Lawrence, which is a school outside New York City, and then. Uh -huh moved to Boston and graduated from Emerson College and started ah. as a production designer in film. And oh, okay. So let's kind of break that up a little bit because so, okay, so you're going to college in, uh, and the name of the college again? The first one was Sarah Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell taught there. It's a very liberal oh. arts college and especially, it used to be a girls college, but now is co-ed. 
And yes. then I transferred to Boston, where I ended up graduating at Emerson College. So Boston mm -hmm. was my college uh, town, my stomping grounds there. Which is interesting because, um, uh, as we know, um, there is a bar there that Ernest Holmes and Thane Walker uh, spent time in and may have been the uh, formation or the hatching uh, of the ideas for the ontological school that we all belong to called the Prosperos. <laughs> so uh, ha uh, tell us about working at that bar. Well, I was at the, I didn't work there. I was at the Harvard Faculty Club. Faculty um, Club, oh. yes. Yeah, so that, that was something that I did while going to Emerson. And then I also worked in film and TV for NOVA for public television as a scientific researcher in conjunction with um, Widener Library with uh, Harvard. But it was, it was serendipitous. I did not go to Harvard, but I ended up doing quite a few things with that. But I went to Emerson. But Boston, as you said, is the birthplace of a, so many things. I've ended up going back to Boston so many times in my life. And I think how interesting from Istanbul to Boston. And then you know, um, Boston is a, a fabulous city and a super important city culturally yeah. as well. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think that is just so uh, amazing. And there, it seems like you, uh, you, you talked about being in production with uh, 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 PBS and also the uh, working that in. How did that sort of weave into your, your moving into technology, though? Yes. And so um, for everyone on the call, I specialize in emerging technologies. I teach a master's engineering course on AI, 3D printing, um, mixed reality, hologram technology. And I teach that class at Washington University. But I also work in corporate America, most recently for Nike and Reebok. And, you know, tying it back to Boston, right? Uh, young Natasha walking around Boston. I remember when the computer lab opened in 1996. <laughs> I was writing my, my papers, my term papers on a typewriter and thinking, what is this information superhighway? And, you know, when I was doing research for no, uh, NOVA, I was literally going to Widener Library at Harvard and getting 20 books and highlighting it and <laughs> producers. And I, that's where I got this inspiration where the seed was planted for innovation and technology because my internship was um, the scientific discoveries over the past 100 years. Oh. And I wasn't encouraged as really... I mean, a woman. <laughs> yeah, I'm being polite. Um, I think I should have gone to engineering school, but it's ironic because now I teach a master's engineering class, right? <laughs> but um, where we are today, and it's you know it's timely that we're talking at this point in time, is similar to 1995 and 96, where the information superhighway really changed how we communicate, how we are in the world. But now there is, you know, the metaverse, the 3D reality, virtual reality, AI. And I really became interested in these emerging technologies while having a day job at Adidas or Reebok working on um, sneakers and shoes because my father, great grandfather, um, and my grandfather had shoe stores in California on the West Coast. Oh, so oh okay. After I became a mom at working on film sets as a production designer, I was like, well, I should have a more a nine to five job. And I was honestly like, didn't want to tell people I worked, you know, for footwear brands. I didn't think it was cool enough. I, I want to work in film, but, you know, <laughs> my daughter was more important, you know. Yeah. And so, but w through working at these big brands and um, they were primarily in Boston, Timberland, Reebok, um, there's a lot of footwear factories. When you work in these lifestyle brands, you have to predict out three to five years what the innovations will be. Yeah. We started to prototype um, 
in 3D prints and 3D printing. And so once I started to learn about 3D printing, I was very curious um, and started my own consulting company while working at these companies. And started now, uh, now, Natasha, before we go too much into to that, um, was this before you went to uh, Italy? No. Or is this, okay. So let's, uh, okay. So let's maybe bring that part in and then come back because isn't uh, uh, in Italy where you had your daughter? Yes. So, okay. Okay. Yeah, before I was, I was a pretty young mother. I would say, well, 26 isn't that young to have a child, but I was the first of my friend group. Um, they thought I had the flu. They were like, you're having <laughs> Um, but I met my ex-husband, he's a electromagnetics professor, um, who was getting his Fulbright scholarship in Boston. And we met, and then he said, you know, I love you. Let's get married. I'm taking you to Florence. So mm -hmm. I, I basically was, you know, a young mom in Florence. I did work on some commercials, some like Sesame street commercials and, Florence and but I didn't get into this whole innovation space until I moved back and my daughter was older. Uh, okay. So how long were you in Italy then? I would say about three years. Okay. Including being pregnant and walking around mercatos and, you know, it was, I had my daughter in Italy. Um, so Florence is, is such a beautiful city. Um, and it still is. So I was really lucky to have had and I, that experience. And ironically, when I went to Sarah Lawrence, I wanted to take a class, a year abroad to study art history and it just didn't happen. Um, and then I ended up being in Florence. So <laughs> <laughs> and I in, 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 in college, but I really only was able to speak fluently once I lived there, you yeah. know, for years. Yeah. That seems to be the, the, the norm for, for what goes on. Um, it, it's interesting that you bring up uh, wanting to study hard history because what popped into my head was uh, Sister Wendy on PBS, who was, as far as I was concerned, amazing, uh, the work that she did with art history and how she traveled in that, considering that she was a Catholic nun. I loved her series and also her openness about uh, uh, sexuality and the other uh, um, uh, cultural things that go on with ind individuals. But anyway, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but okay, so at some point, then you came back to America from uh, Italy. And where were you then? Um, I came back to, uh, to Boston. Okay. All right. And is that when you started working for Adidas and some of the large um, 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 Okay. And uh, what uh, some of you might not know is that these brands were uh, charging hundreds of dollars for tennis shoes at that point. <laughs> and any young person wanted these tennis shoes. <laughs> so, I mean, these were, were, were major brands. And so I could see why um, uh, uh, moving out uh, or having a timeline of five years was so important. Because yeah. not, it wasn't that it was only one brand, but there were two or three brands that were yeah. in competition with each other to come up with something that was innovative and different and, and uh, new that, at that point. So, yeah. So, uh, so you're going to school, you're working for these uh, um, companies and, and what happens? Um, well, basically, uh, you know, working within these jobs, I also became curious more about 3D printing. And so um, some of the big 3D print companies, MakerBot, 3D Systems, I just said, would write to their, you know, some of their, their founders and say, hey, can I meet? And so I just go and meet with them. And um, I was speaking at a big 3D print conference. This is, you know, within a span of quite a few years, obviously, I'm um, making it more concise. And I said to the, the organizers, all male run shows, I said, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is really boring. You know, we should have a 3D print fashion show. And <laughs> I said, okay. And it ended up 
I was in the New York Times. I was in New York Magazine. We were on TV. <laughs> And there was uh, 1,500 people at the Javits Center in New York City. And um, we really um, were pushing to show that consumers will become creators. And these technologies are like a personal factory. It's not ubiquitous yet, right? 3D printers Mm -hmm. don't have one in our homes yet, but we will. Right now, where things are more, uh, the buzzwords are about you know, AI and the metaverse and, you know, Mm -hmm. distractions, but um, that's really how it started. And so I've been able to stay uh, involved and curious with my own consulting company that doesn't conflict with being in a big brand. Yeah, I wondered how that works, because I do know that you have your your own company now. I didn't know whether that had come later or so it was emerging during this time frame. Yes. So uh, around 2010, um, I started Miras 3D and um, that's when I did my fashion show or if I wanted to do something that didn't conflict. Obviously, when I work for Nike, I can't work with another footwear brand, but, you know, it could be uh, 3D printed houses or a toy company or whatever that is. And so um, it gives me that flexibility uh, to do that. And sometimes uh, it- uh, 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 let's hold on just right. I'm going to just take this down another road at this point. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned 3D uh, houses <clears throat> because the New York Times yeah. had an article, I think maybe two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, about that this may be a solution to the homeless uh, problem that is going on in uh, large uh, metropolitan areas like um, uh, uh, Seattle or, or, uh, or Oregon. Yeah. And I understand that, that in some uh, Mexican or South American countries, they've already started using this technology. Do you have any information in regards to that and uh, uh, your use or your involvement in that? Absolutely. So I've been to China several times. Actually, China is one of the biggest um, users of 3D printing for housing. And just a little history, Thomas Edison came up with the first 3D printed um, patent idea or whatever. And it just similar to Tesla, you know, there's these geniuses throughout time and no one listens to them and it's pushed aside. And then all of a sudden, you know, the technology. It's time. <laughs> we got that with um, Michelangelo with the uh, airplane and the submarine and all of that uh, centuries before. And then finally someone will pick up on it and then boom, there it is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, actually, Leonardo da Vinci. T- yes. The first robot, um, the Knights in Shining Armor. Um, but to answer your question, I have not worked on 3D printed housing projects because I have to stay very focused in you know the industries that I've been in which have been primarily uh, CPG um, footwear and apparel and you mm-hmm. know that, those those industries but 3d printing houses bridges is happening a lot more but mostly overseas you know it's it, mm-hmm. it is in Mexico it's mostly in China and in Europe um, and it would be a fantastic solution. Um, because house can be built in a, in a few days mm-hmm. and the materials don't cost much and you can 3D print in concrete. So it's heating and cooling. Um, it would be great in the desert here in Palm Springs. Yes. <laughs> I think that, no, I think there was also an article about there that they're going to start some uh, 3D houses here in Palm Springs. So yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So again, this is that whole uh, thing about uh, the future and saying that the future is now. It's uh, it's amazing how how that uh, uh, takes place. And I love the fact that your curiosity and your intuition with this is just right there. I, I it's just wonderful. Uh, so, uh, is there a rumor that, that some company might be wooing you back to, uh, the, the East coast at some point? 
Yes, but now um, that that has happened, I've also thought through my my um, to empower myself as a woman mm-hmm. to make choice because you know. Um, I was recently watched the documentary Nine to Five about the the women's movement in Boston. Actually, because most jobs, I remember my grandmother telling me you were to be a stenographer, a secretary. Right. Every time I would get these jobs, I'd be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it!" Adidas or Nike, and you know, I just take the first thing, and the first thing is fabulous. Like, I'm very grateful for that. But I'm like, well, do I really want to become part of these big companies? Because, or not? And so I'm assessing that and looking at some of the offers as I talk to them to make the right choice Um, because it's more about the impact as well. And what a lot of people don't realize is how our products are made. And this is why 3D printing is important to me is not, is not okay. Right. Most people in factories overseas, and I've been there many, many times are sleeping in dormitories to make our products. They leave their families from the villages and you go to the store and buy a Nike shoe and, but how did it get there? Who made that? And what I'm seeing is trends within my peer group. And a lot of people have recently left a lot of these big brands and they're all great brands, but how we look at how we create products with technology is really coming into play. And if you hear about how uh, Mark Zuckerberg changed Facebook to the meta, which is the meta. meta yeah, the new one, yeah what's really happening there, the deeper meaning of that, right? Especially with you on this call, I'm sure you can understand this narrative is that creators, consumers, artists, they're 3D artists or whatever, are not compensated um, for their work. They're part of a big company. And so this whole Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, metaverse thing are little communities and platforms that almost link back to um, when you would trade, trading time, bartering. And so they're trying to decentralize how people make their living in the world. And just to give you an example, and what I'm thinking of as my next step, right? Um, There is this fabulous creator. He started, he's been part of uh, being the uh, art director for Cirque du Soleil and Burning Man Uh. and for Zaberta, like super artistic, um director and he created a metaverse a 3d platform that you can go online and he basically is calling it a presence engine wow and so i want to investigate my next step like yes of course i need to work you know but like what do i want to be a part of because we're at such an important point in time right now with these technologies can go either way right ai can be for good but it can be for bad. 3D can be for good or for bad. And so why people are uh, questioning what's happening is you have these very big companies like Facebook or that trying to own it. And everyone that is a new creator saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it's going to go down this time. And mm-hmm. so I want to make sure that whatever I'm involved in is great not that anything that i was involved in was not great but did it really benefit humanity with technology did it really benefit you know people and we are in an era where we've been shop 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 consume 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 and i think that's going to change but you have to be part of the narrative because if not people are going to do what they were going to do and i think that that is so important natasha because the future is now. We always think, oh, that the future is going to take care of itself. As some of the uh, <laughs> uh, members of uh, uh, my um, uh, mentor's workshop is discovering that AI is only as good as garbage in, garbage out. Yes. And who is involved in deciding what is going on? Because Uh, With the speed of computers, we no longer can uh, make something and then wait and look at it and say, oh, we'll correct the mistake now because we see what it is. We have to be thinking about what the mistakes might be before 
or this goes on. Uh, one of the people that are on the call, there is, uh, uh, there is the new technology out where, um, where uh, a, a soap dispenser and it is supposed to recognize you and automatically put uh, soap in your hands or automatically wash uh, your hands. <laughs> and but based on varying uh, skin tones, either very light or very dark, it won't work <laughs> wow. as Mara can testify to. So, again, it's the situation of who's making these decisions, who is developing these things and are they aware of the diversity of people so that they can get these things uh, so that it can be a product. So again, you don't want to wait until the product is out there everywhere and then discover that it is not working for everyone. Yeah. Because uh, it, uh, <laughs> uh, you didn't have enough people of diversity working on that project. There's a documentary on Netflix called Coded Bias, if you have a chance to watch it. And it is about how exactly, you know, the, the code that's written in AI, um, if it doesn't include different um, classifications. So AI with that recognition, facial recognition is, what they do is basically they take tons of photos and then tag them, right? But if you are only taking photos of, Caucasian people or young, you know, who knows, you're not, there's not going to be a correct classification. And so it is a big problem that comes up in, in many tech situations that I've experienced firsthand. And there's a, but really a large group of very good people that want to make a difference, but there's also a large group of people that just want to make money. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's like get in the arena, you know, and that's where I say I, as a woman, it's not easy, especially right. when you have to politely steer things in, in a more in a better way. But yeah, what we, you're, you were saying is completely correct. Yeah. Okay, so we're sort of up where you are at this point. Your daughter is now uh, a young woman. And as she is now living in um, Italy, isn't she? Yes, she's uh, living in Florence, Italy. She has dual citizenship because her dad is Italian. So college is free for us. And she lives in beautiful Florence. I miss her a lot, but, you know, I see her quite as often, you know, she comes here. She's been here quite a bit with COVID. She was in Italy, you know, during the whole COVID thing, but we got her out in time. But I've, I'm, We'll be visiting her in the next month. Oh, well, that'll be good. That's, so at least there'll, there'll be a little bit of uh, holiday time with, with her at that uh, point. Um, did uh, What would you say to young people that are, uh, we know that having one job and staying on that one job all of your life is no longer. Yeah. Some, what, some of the things that are going on at this point is that uh, an individual is going to have more than one job. Uh, and uh, what would you say to this person that um, would want to uh, contribute to, to the world or, or be of service to the world? How would you uh, tell them to, to, to craft their life so that they're able to do that from, from what your experience is? I would say, um, and I talked to my daughter quite a bit ab about this, you know, thinking about what you want your impact to be on humanity, you know, and it could be anything. It could be just being a lovely person every day and smiling, you know, it could be showing the world love with food. It could be working in tech, right? And then understanding what your intentions and motivations are for doing it. I've had to check myself to try and stay humble when you work for these big brands because you can get swept up and like I work for Nike I would do this and like wait a minute why am I doing these things what am I doing this for and also the clues to finding your passion is how you spend your downtime not just hanging out downtime fun Halloween party downtime but um you know what are you researching what are you interested in and 
I honestly have always researched this 3D stuff and technology, and that's how I know that I absolutely love it. And also the last thing, Calvin, is to take away what we think of as success in this life. Yes. Because it doesn't have to be 15 years at a job, nine to five. It could be, if you want to be a, 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 a travel around the world and do different things and not own a home, that's okay too. But you have to be happy in what you're doing. That's, that's been my impression. Yeah. Know what your drivers are. Uh, work within what your persona is and what's going to make you happy. Uh, no longer are the trappings of what is success going to be the, the drivers. I think that we're going to see a, a change or we'll need to see a change coming up in those, those areas. Thank you, Natasha. I'd like for um, the, uh, uh, our friends that are here today to have a chance to, uh, to uh, open up and say a few things if they would. Uh, let's start with Patton uh, and Clint. Natasha, Nuts. how oh. far are we from from making 3D atomic module 3D reactors? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I thought you were going to say, um, I would get a question a lot. I was speaking at a conference in Korea. Actually, there were people that were specialized in bioprinting and someone in the audience was like, when can we 3D print a full human? And everyone <laughs> like, that is not going to happen for a while. <laughs> 3D printing skin and organs happens. In terms of like ener the energy sector, I don't, I don't really know that much about it. But thank you for asking. I'm going to want well, in, to yeah, I was just thinking about you're into a high, high, Electronics. I mean, you know a lot about how far are we from re turning radioactivity into uh, electricity? <laughs> that I don't know that much about. I'm more, I'm, you know, we can 3D print metal that's used in aerospace, but in the energy field, I don't know. But thanks for asking that. I'm going to, I'm going to look into that. I'll do, <laughs> I'm not going to be an expert, but I'm going to put that on my list to research. Well, these are, Thank these you. Are okay. Awesome. Now, okay. Now, Clint, we got to get the others. <laughs> Pat, do you have something? Oh, I was just going to say, thank you for sharing all this with us. For someone like me who lives 10 miles from the place, the house I was born in, um, <laughs> Your travel and your life is just so exciting to me. <laughs> I love hearing about it. Oh, but I think there's a lot of beauty as in, you know, being in the same place too. I miss a lot of people all the time because they're all over the world. So it's, it's always, you know, it's always beautiful on, on, in every situation. So just so, you know, you know that too. Uh, there's a lot of suitcases when you're, when you're traveling. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of downtime trying to get ready <laughs> okay thank you both uh Sarah. I, I i need to say thank you i, I didn't get to say that thank oh. you <laughs> <laughs> sarah um i'm interested in how video games i just i haven't really delved into this but it's an interest uh, how video games and virtual reality can positively impact, especially younger people. Um, and, and you were talking about impact. And then you mentioned about the uh, presence engine, which I'm certainly going to look up. But um, do you have you delved into that at all? Or is that a, a, an interest of yours? Oh, absolutely. It, with my uh, consulting company, I've worked with Logitech and all the kind of gaming type things. I didn't go into like my work resume, but yes, but you know, I've seen some really fabulous startups because there's an interesting statistic that most video gamers spend 40 hours a week gaming, oh. a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had this, a call last week with some of these, uh, metaverse platform companies and I said, I'm not a gamer. And they're like, wow, how, how come you know so much about this? And I'm like, because I want to make a change. Why are mm. we so biased? The world is not just gamers. There's 7.8 billion people that are going to access the internet through virtual reality. And they're not gamers, but they're yeah. companies to answer your question that are training people 
through, through gaming. So in my industry, I saw um, a startup that was training wor factory workers to design in virtual reality um, because the new generation is used to accessing the internet through video games. I still don't agree with it or understand it, but I guess that's what it is. Um, and so I think especially in the fields of um, people with disabilities, uh, people that uh, in the medical community, virtual reality could give people a great experience and training and empathy, right? So it's also a lot of empathy training with virtual reality. Um, so it's a much bigger discussion, but I do think there's a bias that only gamers are gonna be part of this and that the companies that are gonna win are gonna realize there's people like us that are interested in the technology if it's gonna be good, but we're not gonna start gaming, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. There. Thank you for being here. I'm fascinating with what you've been doing and what you're currently going to do. And I hope that Calvin helps keep us posted on that. <laughs> but thanks for being here. Okay. Uh, ben, do you have anything? Yes. Uh, um, I need to tell you, Natasha, that um, I'm, um, I'm really awed by the scope of, of uh, what you've been getting involved with. I mean, there are so many different facets involved. And I think that's really excellent because uh, it's so easy to get caught into a particular, um, a particular career. And also, uh, I mean, also the subjects themselves, you know, emerging technology, AI, virtual reality, innovation space, and so on. I want to ask you if you have, um, if you can explain a little more about the metaverse, I think you called it a presence engine. Well, okay, so this, this it's called Nowhere, it's a platform. That's his theory, he wants to, to push that forward and we had a great discussion and I will be working with them in some way because the founder is fantastic. It's oh, almost, but the metaverse, you know, it's timely we're having this call because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg changed his platform. Yeah. <laughs> and, but if you think of it this way, okay. So we don't walk around and say, oh, this is injection molded. Oh, it's so cool. Like if you know, <laughs> like no one's saying, so the tools are the technology, right? First it was yes. internet and then, you know, manufacturing techniques, you know, we went from the steam technology, you know, all of the different industrial revolutions and we're in industry 5.0, the fifth industrial revolution now, huh. which is this convergence of all these technologies. And so instead of accessing the internet through a web browser a computer screen and a phone or a TV, all it is is accessing it through different, different platforms and virtual reality. And we see these ridiculous goggles. Which <laughs> and so if you think of the goggles are kind of like the big clunky cell phone or a pager. Yeah. That's, so that's why no one cares. No one thinks it's cool. Only tech people think it's cool. I don't even <laughs> have that. I've tried the Oculus. It's like, I know that that's not, <laughs> that's not the end technology. The end technology yes. is gonna be wearable glasses, contact lenses, um, or hologram technology. Uh -huh. And once it's feasible, affordable, smaller and lighter, because that's how technology evolves. Yes. Smaller, lighter, and then um, better entry point with price, then people will use it if they want to or not. Right. What's going to happen as well, and this is, I know I can speak in this way. And most people that uh, are in the metaverse talk about this. The metaverse is like middle earth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about pagan times when people thought that trees had spirits and animation, right? Yeah. People that are in gaming and in, and special effects, all of these worlds are kind of a mix between reality and not reality. And right. there's going to be people that want to be in that. So you'll be able to put on a contact lens. And if you want your house to look like a gingerbread house, 
uh-huh. buy that that uh, NFT, which is like a the three D the three D art. Uh, yeah. That's another discussion. And then you, if you want to walk around the world and see all those animations, you'd yeah. put them on like three D glasses, and you'd see the houses that have that. But that's a small yeah. part of the population, right? Yes. And so there's good things that can come out of this, but there's very concerning things too. Yes. And so that's why I'm like, I want to be a part of this, you know, because yes. <laughs> I understand it. I love it. But like, I want to say my daughter thinks it's ridiculous. She doesn't. <laughs> well, that's why that's why I was uh, very happy to hear you speak about the necessity of uh, taking a look at and in, investigate investigating what intentions are involved, what motivations. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know as a lot of people are even thinking about that. But you I, seem to be set up where, where you are, you have um, all the connections and all the experience where you can make a difference uh, as far as making other people pay attention. I see now, because that requires a lot of, um, definition what do we really mean about intention and motivation and uh, what are going to be our standards for uh saying okay this is a good motivation oh no that's not yeah thank you ben oh go ahead natasha if 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 everyone's interested there's some cool ted talks that i could send to you in an email and you could forward to people to watch their 15 minutes. I teach them in my class. Oh, that'd be marvelous, Natasha. Yes, and I and then I can go ahead and I can get those out. That'll be wonderful. Okay, yeah. thank yes, you. Give, give them to Calvin and Calvin will be giving them to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, all right. Uh, thank you, Ben, for, uh, for uh, your comments and that. And or what are you, uh, oh. You can greet uh, Natasha in Turkish. Merhaba. <laughs> 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 in, in Istanbul in this I think around the same area. I I uh, 1980s there was a kudeta in Turkey. Yes. That's if why you I remember uh, October 12 or something like that. And then, uh, because before that, there was the anarchy. I grew up in that condition. I was in Asian side. Oh, okay. And, uh, and our backgrounds are similar, except my grand- grandmother is Armenian from Eastern Armenia, one. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, um, grandf- uh, my father's side comes from Circassian. So it's Cherkes. You know Cherkes people? So, and they survived both genocides, <laughs> like Jews. Oh. So wow. it's an interesting story, too. And the uh, 80s, it was, but when you came after 80s, Istanbul was calm and quiet. It's a beautiful place. Um, and 83, I left. And uh, which school did you went to expat school in European side, I presume? Uh, there's a, there was a school part of Robert College. Robert's College, ah. Yeah, that it's for international students. I see. Hisar. I lived in Jihangir. Oh, good, good. There. Yeah, and my mom lives, still lives there on the islands in Burgazada. Burgaz, uh, oh. My <laughs> grandmother was living in Bukada. Yeah, well, they were living in Bukada. My my mom's family lived in Bukada for every summer. And then now they moved full-time to Burgaz. But... Um, you know, like you were saying, actually, when my parents got divorced in New York City, we wanted, my mom wanted to bring us to Istanbul, but because of the coup d'etat, we couldn't, it was too dangerous. So we went to London. And then once things calmed down, Mm -hmm. and it was, I had a fantastic high school life. I mean, really. Roberts College is amazing. It's American college. So it's, but you remember Istanbul in those times, it was, it was really fun and beautiful. Yeah. You know, my favorite places are Prinkipa Islands, you know, the islands, the, or, you know, the uh, old Greek islands there. Yeah. Most Armenians and Greeks live there. Too. I think Jihangir, around that area, there are so many Armenians there too. So, yeah. 
It's, it's interesting place. And then one of the interesting things that, you know, my grandmother, grandfather, my uh, mother's father was a shoemaker too. So oh. they made Armenian children who survived genocide to wow. uh, training and the, most of them became shoemakers. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> there's a story behind that, you know. It's very interesting. What you're doing is amazing. Let's come to the today. And um, I'm worried about video games. I have teenager sons. Oh, they play it? Oi. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It affects the, you know, yeah. their, their um, dopamine cycle and everything. So yeah. it's a pleasure pain cycle. Unfortunately, right. um, that's, you know, they're conditioned. And the younger one is not there yet, but younger one is more interested in scientific as aspects of it, yeah. like ma making projects with uh, Minecraft and all this stuff. The older one is the uh, gaming. I think he may be a good virtual soldier. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've seen several people who were used, you know, who were very good at video games. Army yeah. hired them. Oh yeah, yeah, and they used this virtual, um, you know, a reality and everything to as a soldier. You know, they're working from Virginia, but they're shooting somewhere in the Middle East and everything. I know. Yeah, uh, yeah unfortunately. And virtual reality is the future. Definitely augmented reality is the uh, future. We are, not, we are still learning, I think. In medicine, pain management is going into that field. There are so many research coming out now. I think in neuroscience, there will be, you know, playing with the perception uh, with virtual reality, there will be so many things that's going to come about, you know. People right. think about lucid dreaming, you know, altered states and everything. You can achieve these <clears throat> states that we are talking about instead of using drugs, but using virtual reality, you know, goggles and, the, you know, several other vibratory stimulants and everything. And, uh, and I think there will be so many things that's going to be entering the scientific field and human science too, um, besides the, you know, material science that you're talking about. Mm concept so with my students um at washington university they it's like a capstone class a thesis class and i have them write a white paper and the digital twin technology and you'll see it in some of the links i send is really the future to have a digital twin of everything but not an avatar but especially in medicine having a digital t twin of a patient rather than seeing you know where that you they draw on your body you know like here's the pain you know the every doctor and then having this digital twin and then linking it down the road and you sounds like you know a lot haptic technology where you know you'd be in a virtual reality wear a suit and then have sensors on you you know i have mixed feelings about all of that and then going back to what you were saying your kids i would say you know there's a lot of people that are hiring in video the video game world but like how I was starting out in my career and in the world, I was so enamored by being honored to work for these big companies, right? And I think that even your kids, that's, that's the fine line. It's like, why are they doing it? They could be part of gaming and virtual reality and use it for good and learn how to build in virtual rea reality for industries and things that will help humanity. Yeah. But there's so many kids that are just on autopilot. Like, why couldn't they build a virtual world, but then have an end use goal of something cool rather than right. just build it? I don't know, you know. So yeah, it I needs to be monitored and controlled like cigarette smoking, you know, that's what I'm making the analogy. Yeah. You know, because brain is developing and they are hiring all these people and these people are conditioned, they're talking, you know, if they are not watching, playing, they are watching the YouTube videos of these people, yeah. which is uh, activating the mirror neurons, you know, it's like, uh, I'm sorry to say it's like watching pornography, whether you are doing mm -hmm. it or just watching, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's activating the same circuit, yeah. unfortunately. And that has to be controlled. China started controlling their video time. Yeah. My colleague is China from, from China. She says, you know, once a week, three hours, when they start allowing all the you know, networks crash because all the kids go there. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this, uh, I, this is a big tug of war between kids and the parents too, they are putting parents on the spot. So parents need to control the kids and they are becoming the enemies. They are enemies. So it's, it's an interesting thing. Unfortunately, these big tech companies, they need to be controlled. They're, I don't know when they are going to act on it, but they need to be controlled when it comes to these video games. 
but the technology useful you know it's just you know doesn't have a positive or negative it's just a neutral it depends on how you be used yeah. how we use yeah. it yeah how we decide that it's going yeah. to be used in the future or, or if we're paying attention and i think attention is important also yeah. And uh, Natasha, I love the fact that uh, that uh, you're here with that. Mara, uh, did did you have something? Yes, I'll make just two quick points. The first one is I absolutely love Florence. <laughs> Florence is one of the most beautiful places I've ever visited. Secondly, I've worked with youth for a very long time, over 30 years. And you said something that I think is probably the the most uh, spot on thing. And that was that to ask these young people, how do you want to have an impact on humanity? Yeah. yeah because yeah. there are so many ways that you can do that, that, that can be explored. And I think that that is just uh, a consciousness expanding question. Yes. I love that. Thank you. I agree. And you know, great that you've been working, you know, as an educator and with students your whole life. That's, I, I really, you know, respect that. I've only been teaching for five years now and the joy of that and, you know, seeing how these new generations are going to have an impact. But that, what you were saying is people being awake and conscious. And I think that um, there can't, the, the carrot is dangled in front of people so easily. Um, I recently did a contract with a uh, and Calvin knows with a robotics company in Pasadena called Flippy Dorado. It's like replacing people in restaurants. And I recently ended that project because I was like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. But everyone in the company's like, yay, we're doing this. Yay, we're selling this to McDonald's. And then you've got the people that are running that saying, no, no unemployment. The employee won't talk back. Ha, ha, ha. This is so funny. I'm like, Ashley's yeah. funny, you know? No. But, yeah. What you were saying is that if these, if they, if, if the younger generation and kids can wake up as to intention, but that isn't even taught in our high schools or. No. or yeah. Yeah. It's that sense of service and knowing that their life is more than just their life and that they uh, at some point need to find that. And the earlier that they start moving with that, then, you know, where is your curiosity? What will your curiosity take you to? Uh, uh, and I think that that's so important. And this is uh, the, uh, why I just love uh, our conversation today with you, Natasha, because it is, it just shows that we are no longer, um, uh, an individual or someone from a particular place in uh, in the world, we are global. And once we understand that and that uh, uh, one, uh, our concern is the same as someone else's, uh, those of you who are in my, um, my uh, uh, seminar know, know the fact of how I use um, music from from all genres, just to show the change in direction that that's going. So, yeah. Okay, well, I want to thank everyone for uh, uh, being here today, the questions, the, the, and, and just to be able to vision with Natasha on this deep, deeper level. So thank you again, Natasha, for being my guest today. There's one other thing I want to mention. Sure. Natasha, you... You mentioned, you know, asking the kids, um, what can you do that will really benefit humanity? And what I like about that so much is that it's it's not um, imposing uh, pre preconditioned notions about intention, motivation, and so on upon them, but but just trusting that they will have an answer to that question. What will benefit humanity? I don't know. Puts them it it enables them to discover their own ability to know things like that, to answer questions like that. And we can all help guide it. I mean, all because we're not like we can in our daily lives if we come across um, people that are starting out or our kids or our family. You know, it's 
interesting because even though the technology is new, we have so much experience, right? And so I think that's missing in our education system. Oh, yeah. But as part of a community, whatever communities we live in, I'm seeing that that even if you affect one child or one human, it doesn't matter. Even in an interview or if I'm getting a new contract, I like to kind of scratch the surface and ask, <laughs> you know, and I talk to this, yeah. this supersonic bright guy in tech. Yeah. Like, hmm, I didn't think of it that way. And I was like, inside, I thought, good, you know, I'm going right. to say um, and, uh, hopefully we can take our experience, you know, um, from whatever part of the world we are, uh, and we don't have to be experts in the field, right. but it's more about that human connection. Like you were saying, everyone was saying here. So, yes. Well, I want to thank everyone for being here today. This has really been stimulating and exciting and that. So uh, thank you again, Natasha. And thank you, everybody, uh, for your questions and uh, for your participation.